Well, turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're continuing our study, really, of the nation of Israel, seeing it through the eyes of the kings and, and through certain people. We started with 1 Samuel, and, and we saw Samuel, and then we saw Saul, who the first king. And as we get to 2 Samuel, we're seeing David as the second king, and David is a great man. He's a great leader. He's described as a man after God's own heart, and we're seeing some things. In fact, when you think about David, you always think about, there we go, we think about David and Goliath. Then we think about David and a great kingdom, but then we also think about David and Bathsheba. And, of course, that's a sad thing. And this morning, we're going to see the failure. As you remember, we started, uh, that I was on last week, but we saw in chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, how David committed adultery. I mean, he blew it, and it was a turning point in his life. And one of the things that we're going to see and that, we, that little card I handed you, that when you look at this, this study of David's life in 2 Samuel, chapters 1 through 10, we call it David in triumph. Everything was going great. And then when all this happens, the rest of the, the book, chapters 11 through 24, we're calling it David in trouble. And we're seeing that David, his falls and his sin. And as we continue to look at this passage, we're going to see sin and temptation and how we can gain victory. And we talked about it last year. We looked at the idea of sin, temptation. Temptation itself is not sin. We saw what happens and those kind of different things. Our goal is that we would understand truths and principles dealing with sin and, and even temptation, that kind of thing, and then make application in our lives. So there's a lot there, and we'll see it as we go through our passage. Well, let me start with this. You know, over the years, I've lived here for a long time, 35 or 36 years, that I've seen a lot of great football players. I mean, I think of Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas and Josh Fields and Rashawn Wood, Brandon Whedon, uh, Mason Rudolph, James Washington. The last few years, there's been one I just love to watch. His name is Malcolm Rodriguez. He's a linebacker. He sort of has a spe- but I have a granddaughter, Riley, and he and Riley connect with each other, and they've connected. He sees her before every game, and, and so we came to, to really love this guy. This year, I mean, he had a great year. He uh, was on eight All-America teams, so he's just an amazing. One of the things I want to say about him is when he's playing football, he might get knocked down. He's a linebacker. He might get knocked down, but he always gets up. He gets up fast, and we say, well, that's great. That's what you ought to do if you play football. When we think about the Christian life, it's really the same thing because sometimes we get knocked down. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we sin. Sometimes life, we're going along, and then we mess up, or we mess up bad. But what do we do? We got to get up. We got to go on. We got to deal with sin in our lives. And here's what the Bible tells us. When we deal with sin, the Bible tells us to realize our sin, to confess our sin, to forsake our sin, and then to go on into service. And that's what we're supposed to do. Every one of us in this room, we, we, we all fall. We all sin. We've all come short of the glory of God, and we can day in and day out mess up. We've talked about it many, many times. If you think you won't sin, you will. You've got to be very careful. have got to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. As we look at this passage, we're going to see what does David do when he sins. And this is one part of the Bible you don't want to make application from. You don't want to do what David did. We want to do something else. And so we're going to look at that. As we said, it's a turning point in David's life. We saw the first five verses last time. This is where David saw Bathsheba standing out and, and saw her. He wanted her. He took her. And he tried to hide it. All of those kind of things. And now David's got to come up with a plan because they got some bad news. The bad news is that Bathsheba says, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. Well, what they thought was a one-time deal, they could just get over it and nobody will ever know about it. All of a sudden, people are going to know because there's somebody else involved now. There's a baby involved. And what about the husband? What about all these things? And so we're going to see David has a plan. And let me just say this. It's not God's plan. 
Okay, it's David's plan. We're going to see what he does with Uriah and, and about a battle, and then we're going to see David's response to the whole thing. So there's a lot that we're going to see today, and as I said, it's a terrible event. I wish that, you know, we all wish it wasn't here, but God says, no, no, I put this in the Bible for a reason, that we can learn from it. We can see David as a man after God's own heart. And listen, David is a great man. And let me tell you, if David, who is a great man, can mess up, every one of us in this room, we can mess up. And we can all sin and come short of the glory of God. We can do that. And so we need to learn from this and see what God says. And so as we begin, let me remind you, we saw four aspects last time about sin and temptation. We said this, we're all capable of any sin. We see that sin and temptation are not the same thing. Temptation is a pull to sin, but it's not sin. That's why the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points yet without sin. We also talk about the fact that we need to, uh, to, to deal with sin in our lives. There are consequences there, and we need to deal with it. And we'll see how that goes. So we'll be looking at those as we go through the passage and remind you. So let's start with the first statement is that we're all capable of any sin. We come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we become a new creation in Christ. But yet at the same time, we still have the natural bent to sin. The Bible calls it the flesh. The Bible calls it the old man. The Bible calls it the sin within us. And it is there and we are capable of sinning. Uh, and, and all of you know it. Listen, uh, you have believed in Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. You're saved and saved forever. And yet there's a part of us that chooses and wants to do wrong. And even God, man, after God's own heart, David, he falls, we can too. The second big thing we saw was the whole idea of sin's temptation, that aspect. And remember, there are four aspects of it. You see it, you desire it, you take it, you hide it. That's what happens. We see something, and then we want it, and then we do it, and then we try to hide it. We think we can hide it, and sometimes we even think we can hide it from God. We can just say, okay, I'm just going to forget that I, I did that, or I won't ever do that again, or whatever. We saw David do that. David saw Bathsheba bathing. He desired her. He said he wanted her, and so he took her. He found out who she was, even though he found out that she was the wife of one of his soldiers that was out fighting the battle against the Ammonites. He took her, and then they tried to hide it. In fact, even when they got through, she, she what, purified herself under the Mosaic law. See, under the Mosaic law, if a woman had sexual relations, she had to purify herself, and so she did. And so and basically she's saying, even though I committed adultery, I still purify myself. And, you know, and David says, even though we committed adultery, we're going to do what's right. No, you're not doing what's right. And so David thought, okay, this is it. it it's over with. Nobody will ever know. And uh, so if you remember in chapter 11, it says, so David inquired about the woman, and they said, this is Bathsheba. David sent messengers, took her. When he came to her, he lay with her, and then she purified herself, and she returned to the house. Everything looks good. That's, that's what he thinks. Everything's okay. Let me just say something about sin and what, how it does in our lives. The thing about this, sin is never as good as we think it is. And we say, oh, you know, I'm pulled to do that. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be. And then, and then you go, well, it, it wasn't that great. It wasn't, wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It always takes us further than we planned. We say something like, well, I'll only do this once, maybe once. Well, I, 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 I'll, 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 I'll never do that again. Well, I, I'll do it maybe only one more time. I mean, you know, it takes us much further than we think. And then it costs us more than we ever dreamed. And we're going to look what it's going to cost David. And David was a king of Israel. He was in power a powerful place. He was the representative of God for the nation of Israel. And so we see what happens. Well, what are the consequences? Well, the consequences of sin, if you look at verse 5, the woman conceived and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Now, this messes everything up. 
David says, this has messes everything up. Because this was going to be like a one-night deal. I thought maybe it's a one-night stand. I mean, she's a beautiful woman and everything like that. But, I mean, that's just it. But it's not, it's not it just anymore. Because she says, I'm pregnant. What are we going to do about this baby? What are we going to, how, how, are we going to, how are we going to tell people? How did she have this baby? Because her husband, he's out fighting a battle for King David. They're fighting against the Ammonites. They've been out there for a long time. They're, they're raiding the city, trying to conquer it. Well, what, what, what are we going to do? What do you, because you, you can't hide this. So what are we going to do? So what is David going to do? Well, that takes us to the fourth part is dealing with sin. What are we supposed to do when we sin? Well, we all know. I mean, you're, we, we've read the Bible. We've understood. We're supposed to confess it. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're also supposed to forsake it. We're, we can confess it and go on and, go, and say, I'm not going to do that again. I want to live for God. I, I confess it and I want to forsake it. I want to go on. That's what we're supposed to do. But that's not what David does. And we're going to see this going to be a while before he deals with it. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 is where David confesses his sins. And that's a while down the road. In fact, some Bible scholars speculate that it may have been a year before David dealt with his sin. What do we do when we sin? Every one of us in this room is going to sin. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because of the sin, because of the flesh within us, and it pulls us. What are we supposed to do? Well, what does David do? Let's see what he does. You'd think, okay, David, what are we going to do? So verse 6, David sent to Joab. Now remember, Joab is the general. They're fighting against the Ammonites. David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. So we say, send, he, he says, send, call for Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba. Now what does David do? Could, could it be that David is going to call Uriah in and say, Uriah, I have to tell you, I, I blew it. I, I, I deserve to die. I, I, I had sexual relations with your wife while you're fighting a battle. It's, I'm, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? That, is that what David's going to do? Well, no, that's not what David's going to do. What is David going to do? Well, he calls for Uriah. Why for Uriah? Well, watch what happens. So when Uriah came to him, David asked him concerning the welfare of Joab and the people in the state of the war. Now, David calls him in and says, listen, how's the war going? How's Joab? Is Joab okay? He's the general. He's a great fighter. Is he doing okay? How's the war going? Are we, are we winning? Are we t- going to take the city? Uh, and how, how are you doing? How's everybody doing? He, he wanted to know about the state of the war. So that seems okay. And then what does David do? Then David said to Uriah, verse 8, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. Now David's got this plan. He's got this plan. He says, I called you in from the battle. Okay, don't go back yet. Uh, You just go home and be with your wife. And when he says, wash your feet, it's the idea of clean yourself up. You've been in a battle. Go home and be with your wife. And then he says, I'm going to send a little present over there. Maybe some food or some wine. Who knows what I'm going to send over there? Because that's what it says. He sent a present. Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent after him. And David says, okay, I I think I've got this thing planned. He'll go down there. They'll have sexual relations. And then when the baby comes, he'll think it's his baby. Everybody will think it's his baby. David wants Uriah to have sexual relations with Bathsheba, and then Uriah will think that the baby's his. This is going to work out okay, says David. At least I think it will, says David. 
And he sends a present. A present. But, oh, for David, this is not a good sentence. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord, and he did not go down to his house. Wait a minute. There we go. The thing is jumping around today. Uriah slept outside the palace. He didn't go home. What? He's got to go home. He's got to go home and be with his wife. That's the only way we can cover this thing up. But Uriah goes out, and instead of going to his house, he sleeps at the door of David's palace, where all some other servants are sleeping. He doesn't go home. Well, that blows everything. When, when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you go down to your house? He calls him back in and says, wait a minute, what are you doing? Why did you sleep outside my palace? Why, why did, you just got back from the big journey. You've missed your wife, I'm sure. Why, why haven't you gone to your house? So what does he say? Uriah said to David, verse 11, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping out in the open field. Shall I go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. What? He says, listen, I can't do that. I mean, I'm a soldier, and all the rest of the soldiers, we're all out there, and we're all fighting. (coughs) And Joab and everybody else is living outside in tents, and they're not back with their families and everything else. And so I come here, I... I can't go home and eat and drink and sleep, be with my wife when everybody else is out there. I'm just not going to do that. I, I'm going to, you know, I just can't do that. I just can't do it. David's going, this is ridiculous. What am I going to do? So what does David do? David said to Uriah, verse 12, stay here today. Go ahead and stay here today. Also, And tomorrow, I'll let you go. I'll let you go on back. Stay one more night. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. So what's David going to do? So then David called him and he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. He said, if I can just get this guy drunk, he'll probably go on home and be with his wife and then everything will be covered up. So David called him and he ate and drank with him and he made him drunk and in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with the Lord's servants, but he didn't go down to his house. He went the same place he went the night before, even though he was drunk. And David's going to find out that he never go. And he's go, David is going, wow, what has David done? David's committed adultery. David has lied. And now David's trying to get somebody drunk to do something that he, you know, is just, the guy considers it wrong. He's got to be like the rest of the soldiers. So David says, okay, this is not working. I've got to cover this up. We can't go on like this. So what am I going to do? Verse 14. Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Now David writes a note. You can see him. He wrote the note, folded it up, said, Uriah, give this to Joab when you get back. That's not uncommon. His messengers all the time go from the king to the general. And he says, I've got a a message for Joab. Give it to Joab. Listen, Uriah's not going to look at that message. I mean, that's not his place. His job is just to take the message and give it to Joab. He's not going to look at the message. He doesn't know what the message is. He just knows that David wrote a message to give to Joab. What is this message? Verse 15. 
he had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fierce battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. He says, get Uriah, attack the city, get right up at the front where, and put Uriah right at the front where the fierce fighting is, and then right in the middle of it, draw some of the men back quickly as possible. He's left there basically defenseless, and he's going to get killed. That's the plan. David, you want Uriah killed? Why? If you said, David, you want Uriah killed? He said, I don't know what else to do. He won't go sleep with his wife. What am I supposed to do now? I've got to cover this thing up. Put him in the front. Put Uriah at the front of the battle, then withdraw so he'll be killed. And David could say, I didn't have anything to do with his death. I mean, that was in a battle. You know, in the battle, people get in battles. Sometimes people get killed. I didn't have anything to do with that. I want to show you something. This is in 2 Samuel 12, which is a chapter away. When God confronts David, you know what God says to David? You struck down Uriah with the sword. God said, David, you killed Uriah. David could say, no, well, I I didn't really kill him. Yes, you did. So what happened? Verse 16. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city, he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. Isn't it amazing how sin warps us? All the time that David was running from Saul, Never once did David try to kill Saul. Never once when he had two or three opportunities to kill Saul and David was a man after God's own heart and he said, I'm not going to do something like that wrong. And now he has Uriah killed for nothing to cover up his sin. Isn't it amazing what we do when we sin? Isn't it amazing how it warps our thinking? How we think, okay, well, that's not really that bad. Well, everybody else does it. Well, this is what everybody says is right. And, well, I know what the Bible says, but I don't really care what the Bible says because I need to be happy, you know. I, uh, you know. And so what we do is, is we take the Bible and we let our sin warp everything around us. David has committed adultery. He has lied. And he's murdered. You know, and people start talking about sins. And by, you know, I, the truth is, any sin separates you from God. There's some sins worse than others in the sense that there are more consequences. But many people would say, boy, David did the big three. Lying, murdering, and, and uh, adultery. Those are, that's three big ones, right? Wow. Under the Mosaic Law... What was to happen to a person who committed adultery under the Mosaic Law? And by the way, David lives under the Mosaic Law. Well, under the Mosaic Law, what was the consequences of a person who murdered somebody else? Both adultery and murder were punishable by death under the Mosaic Law. Wow. So let's see what happens. 
I'll read 17 again. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab. and That means the Ammonites came out to fight against the Israelites. Joab's the leader. Some of the people among David's servants fell. In other words, some people died. And Uriah the Hittite also died. Now that's what was supposed to happen. That's what Joab knew to do. Joab knew to get them out there, get them fighting, withdraw a little bit, and Uriah would be killed. Now let me tell you, Joab has no idea why David wants Uriah killed. He doesn't know anything. All he knows is David wants Uriah dead. That's all he knows. So look what happens. Verse 18, Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. He charged the messenger saying, Now here's the guy he's sending. He said, Listen, when you have finished telling all the events of the war to the king, and it happens that the king wrath rises, that he gets real mad, and he says to you, why did you get so near the city to fight? Did you not know they'd shoot you from the wall who struck down Abimelech, the son of just the name? And he says, didn't this woman throw this big upper millstone and hit him in the head? Why did you get so near the wall? Now, here's what he's saying. He saying, when you get there and you start telling David about the fight, You're going to tell him that we pushed the enemy back, we got up close to the wall, and they shot arrows down and threw things down, and they killed us, and they killed a lot of our people. David's going to get mad when you say that. He's going to say, what in the world do you all think you were doing? You know you're not supposed to get that close to the wall because they can shoot arrows down on you. And there's a story back of about a Mimelech who was fighting, and this woman picked up a millstone and threw it down, hit him on the head, and cracked his skull, and he died. So everybody knows don't get that close to the wall. You either take it all or you back up. Everybody knows that. That's what David's going to say. And so Joab says when you go and you tell him the stuff, he's going to tell you, wait a minute, what, what do you think you were doing? Why were you all so close to the wall? And he says, when he says that, why did you go so close to the wall? Verse 21, he says, then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. He says, when you get there and David gets mad, right in the middle of it, you just say, oh, by the way, Uriah the Hittite got killed in the battle. So this messenger goes, okay, so I'm supposed to go tell David we got in the battle and a bunch of people got killed. And if he gets mad about us getting close to the wall, just say, well, Uriah was one of the people killed. Yeah, that's what I want you to do. Uriah's dead. This is the news David really wanted to hear. Now, David may pretend to be angry, but this is what he really wants. So watch what happens, verse 22. So the messenger departed, and he came to David. He departed and reported to David all that Joab sent him to tell. Here's what he said. He said, the messenger said to David, the men prevailed against us and they came out against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance to the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servants from the wall so that some of the king's servants are dead. I'm going to stop there for a second. He says, we we went out to fight and they came out to attack us and we were fighting out in the field and we started winning and we drove them back and we drove them back and we got them and they all ran back into the city and shut the gate and as we stood out there, we tried to fight them and they started shooting arrows and things down from the top of the wall. He's expecting that David would say, what were you doing? But he doesn't. David doesn't say anything. And so he says this, moreover, the archers started your servants from the wall so that some of the king's servants are dead. And then he says, And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. He's also dead. How's David going to react? 
Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you. For your, but the sword devours one as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it. And so encourage him. You know what he said? David didn't even get mad. David said, oh, just tell Joab, sometimes in battle, sometimes, sometimes things happen. People get killed in the battles. We could expect that people get killed in the battle. David's message to Joab, don't be upset. People get killed in the battle. You know why David's not upset? Because the right guy got killed in the battle. And David says, just tell Joab not to worry about it. Um, you know, in wars, people get killed. See, it warps our perspective, doesn't it? It warps everything. So what happened? Verse 26. Now, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Her response, she, let me, look, I don't know what to think, do you? I don't know. Do you think she loved Uriah? Do you think she really wanted to be with David? Do you think it was a one-night stand? Do you think because David was the king, she couldn't say no? Do you think she really wanted to be with David? Do you think she's glad Uriah's dead? We don't, we don't have any ideas. It doesn't tell us anything. We can't speculate and say, we think this. We, we can't. All we know is that when she found out that her husband was dead, she mourned. And by the way, normally in that day and time, it was 30 days was the mourning time that people mourned for especially a spouse. And so all we get is the word came to her that your husband Uriah was killed in the battle. Now let me ask you something else. Does she know that David had this done? We don't know. He probably didn't even tell her that. All she thinks is that probably her husband was in the battle and he got killed. And of course now this changes things. Because they've been trying to hide what they did. And now her husband's dead. So what can happen? Verse 27. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. She became his wife. Then she bore him a son. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to read the last part of the verse yet. When the time of mourning was over, he brought her to the house. And you know what some people could say? David is such a great man that when one of his soldiers... One of his soldiers got killed, and he took the wife of his soldier, brought, him, brought her into his own household, and married her to protect her and take care of her for the rest of her life. Isn't David a great king to take care of this woman? It could, it could be thought that way. Let me ask you a question. Who knows what happened? David could say, I think we made it. I don't think anybody's going to ever find out. Do you know that Joab knows? Joab knows what was in the letter. Joab knows he wanted Uriah killed. He may not know why, but he knows he wanted Uriah killed. And you remember the servants that went and got Bathsheba, that David sent some servants down to find out, and then they brought her back? And They know. See, you don't do sin and get away with it. People know. And let me give you another thing. Later on, Joab is going to be really bad. Up to this time, he's good with David. There's going to be a time that he's not good with David. He does some wrong things, and David doesn't do anything about it. You know why? Because Joab knows what David's done. And later on, David's sons, 
Some of them are going to do the same thing he did. And guess what? David never gets on his sons. You know why? Because he did the same thing they did. And sometimes when we sin, it's hard to deal with anybody else when we do the same thing. David's life is never going to be the same after this. It breaks my heart. I mean, I hate this. I'd like to have gone on like to get chapter 14 and 15 and stuff. No, it doesn't get any better, though. The problem is the whole rest of the book's going to be bad. I'd like to go back and say, David, you're a triumph. But no, David's in trouble. She married David when the morning time was up. But I want you to notice the last of the verse 27. It's where it says, but. It says, but the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Consequences of sin, the thing David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. You may think you get away with it. David thought he got away with it. Bathsheba probably thought we got away with it. I'm going to have a baby, but instead of everybody thinking that I did something really bad, they're going to all think I married David, and we did have a baby. Everything's going to be okay. Now, I want you to remember something. We're all capable of any sin. The temptation of sin, the idea is we see it, we want it, we take it, we hide it. We see the consequences of what's sin, and we're going to see it in David's life. And then we see dealing with sin. And the answer to dealing with sin is not to cover it up. So how do we deal with sin? Let me quickly give you something. We acknowledge our sin. We recognize when we do wrong. The standard is the Word of God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, the Bible says we're dead and trespassed sins. First John 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have not sinned, we're a liar. We have to acknowledge that we're sinful and we fall short. And sometimes we actually do sins. The second thing is we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says, if we confess our sins, third class if in Greek means maybe we'll confess them, maybe we won't. David doesn't hear. When you sin, what should you do immediately? Confess it. He's faithful and just to what? Only forgive you, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Not only the sin you're confessing, but any sins you might have done. He cleanses us. The third thing is forsake it. Don't plan to do it again. Plan not to do it again. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who confesses and forsakes is blessed. So it's not like I I confess it and I'm planning to do it again because I'll do it again. I'll just confess it as soon as I do it. No. Confess it and forsake it. And then last, guard yourselves. Guard ourselves. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. The book of James, Hebrews says... Be right there. He'll never leave us or forsake us. You know, take care of ourselves. Draw near to God. Ephesians says, put on the armor of God. First John says, guard yourselves. Be careful. Second Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust. Get away from it. Get away from it. Don't put ourselves in those situations. If you're in that situation, get out of there. So what have we seen? David sins. He sees it, he desires it, takes, he wants. There are consequences. There's the pregnancy. There's all that. So instead of David dealing with it, he gets a plan. Doesn't work, so he has him killed. And then he marries her. And everything looks right, or it seems to look right, except what David did was evil.
in the sight of the Lord. Let's realize that there will be sin and temptation in our lives. Now, temptation's not sin, but it's there, and it can lead to sin. So remember the flow? We see it, we want it, we take it, we hide it. It's so easy to see something and say, wow, and to want it, desire it, that's temptation, be careful. But then we do it, we take it, and then we hide it. So be careful. It can happen to all of us in this room. Second, what do we do? We got to deal with it. And what do we do? We acknowledge our sin, knowledge that we're capable. If you go around saying, I would never do that, you're opening the door to put yourself in a bad situation. Confess our sins. Forsake them. Get away. Proverbs 28, 28, 13. And then finally, guard yourself. God's power, God's word. May we live in God's power according to God's word, dealing with sin in our lives as we gain victory over sin and temptation.